Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith, and I'm joined here with Augusto Pinaud, Francis Wade, and Art Gelwicks. And today is our first Productivity Appapalooza, the premiere edition. I'm very excited. We're going to be talking about software applications that each of us either use or enjoy or recommend to people quite often. And we're going to make this a regular thing. Every every so often, we're going to do an Appapalooza. And the way it's going to be designed is we're going to have three rounds. We're going to turn the microphone over to each of us to talk a little bit about each application uh, that we are recommending. And then we will continue round robin. And so round one, let's get started. Art, you're up. What's your first application? All right. Since I drew the short straw to go first, by default of alphabetical name, which I think is the culprit here, uh, mine is, and I'll put this out for all three of mine, I have a requirement around these apps that they not only have a mobile component, but also a web or desktop component, because I believe that you need to be more than just single platform for things to truly be functional. So my first one is an app and website called Workflowy, uh, Workflow with a Y. It is a text-centric outlining tool, but it's a, it has a unique approach to the outlining model. If you imagine each layer of the outline being a document, uh, it allows you to drill down layer after layer after layer and create unlimited numbers of, well, in the paid version, in the, in the free version, there's a cap, uh, unlim- a vast number of entries and text content, including striking out items as tasks that they're completed, uh, being able to share pages, which is probably the easiest way I've found to share content with people. It's literally grab a link and send it to them. That's it. Not particularly difficult. Uh, And it is very clean and very fast. Uh, It is completely browser independent and it works great with their mobile client, which they're actually in the process of updating on Android, uh, but also on the desktop as well. And it has a lot of keyboard functionality, if I recall. It does. If you are a, a keyboard shortcut kind of person, you can just live in Workflowy. It's amazing how fast you can crank out content and capture uh, information. It doesn't do some things. It doesn't do image embedding. Uh, it struggles a little bit with links right now, which I know is something that they're working on. Uh, but for for just organizing thoughts and gathering content together and, and sharing text-centric content, I have yet to find anything that that is more robust and better handling of that pure content than Workflowy is. Yeah, someone who had just been recently asking about how to do uh, outlining in an application that was really slick. They they were they they wanted more functionality than say Microsoft Word, and they wanted maybe some of the flexibility of visualizing using mind mapping. And I had recommended to them Workflowy because you're able to export into OPML, which means that most of the, you know, mind mapping softwares will import the OPML file and be able to produce a mind map from the the file. So not everything, obviously, you know, it's all not going to all be uh, relatively, uh, not all of it is going to be interpreted perfectly, but I thought it was really cool. If I'm outlining an article I'm writing for my blog, often I'll write it in in Workflowy and then grab it and dump it into OneNote to clean up. A question: What's the what's the benefit of going into out, uh, OneNote after outlining in Workflowy? For me, my my actual workflow for publishing is all structured within a series of OneNote notebooks and sections. So the raw text entry capability within Workflowy uh, is very streamlined and allows me to focus on the actual writing process. I kind of cheat a little bit because what I do is I do each line and each small paragraph as a section in the outline. That way I can drag them around very easily and quickly within the workflowy outline. Once I have it all structured together, I can dump it over into OneNote and walk it through the rest of my my publishing workflow process, which includes my SEO checks and you know where it gets published to and that um, 
I've been able to push content out to social media updates and things like that. So Workflowy can do that. You can create those structures in there. It just happens to be that I do the majority of my work in OneNote, so it's easy to make that leap over. Cool. Thanks. Well, my first app doesn't follow any of the requirements that are had for them. That it was kind of funny. The, the app is OmniFocus. I've been using OmniFocus for longer than I'm going to admit. So basically from the day they released. Um, and it's been solid, has always been a solid platform. And by the time this show come out, the problem is the version of OmniFocus I'm using today is going to be obsolete because there is a new version coming out. It will have soon a component for web browser that I'm really excited about it. And they are changing a lot of things in this platform, including what for some people has been an issue that is the dependency on on context and now they are going to they are going to also have the ability to do tags and and other things so um, so probably I, I we will bring this piece of software again into this conversation when the new version comes out and I had a chance to really play with it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, one of one of the things about OmniFocus is that you know when people and and in this particular case, OmniFocus too is when whenever I'm at any one of the GTD meetups, uh, New York or DC, people pretty much use all kinds of other tools, and then there's a block. There's you know this this group of people who are all OmniFocus users, and uh, and and they all they all really love it. You know, they really enjoy using the software, and so OmniFocus again for my purposes don't doesn't fit some of the requirements art has which are are similar to mine you know in terms of having to be multi-platform and having to have a web version uh, because i am sometimes on client site uh, without access to my own devices so i need to be able to access my world uh, through uh, sometimes very secure environments where i need to log into uh, my software um, and sometimes even remote in, and uh, and I want to be able to access them through the web browser if I'd like to. So, Augusto, can, can you t- talk a little bit about some of the feature set of OmniFocus in terms of its GTD-inspired feature set? The version, the version 2, it's really, the version 1 and the version 2, they were both really GTD-centric. And that was part of the reason I started using it. At the time I, the application came out, I was really, my work conditions, GTD fit really, really well on what I was doing. But it's a really robust piece of software, you know. And when I stopped using most of the elements of the, of the Getting Things Done methodology, I was easily able to tweak OmniFocus to really accomplish uh, what I wanted to do. Even when you could not use things like task, uh, sorry, like um, not task, uh, will will be really useful, useless to have a software uh, for getting things done if you cannot do task. What I mean with tags, with a G, and even that you could not use tags, there was the pro version has one thing that they call perspective. That it was awesome. It's a little geeky, uh, but it but it was awesome, and you could do incredible things. I think the problems they have with the perspective, it was a little too geeky for most people, and then most people never understood how you could really get the power that I think now that the version 3.0 will include tax, a lot of people will be able to get a lot more out of that and enjoy really the, the robustness of OmniFocus. Will it be available in on Windows anytime soon? I don't know if it's coming to Windows. I know it's going to go to online first. I don't know if they are going to go and pursue Chrome OS and Windows, or just stay on the online world? I think the answer will probably depend on the implementations. I know people have been crying for a Windows version for many, many years, and the OmniFocus group has all or, uh, has always, you know, been resistant to it. So finally, they they are going to release the the web browser, and I will like to guess that that's as far as they're going to go on their multi-platform efforts. And I've heard that there are implementations of Windows 
versions of OmniFocus by third parties and um, through through various synchronizing services. I, I none are coming to my mind at the moment. And there is, I think, one other web web interface for OmniFocus that that exists out there. Uh, and if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But the but I don't believe they'll ever come to to Windows proper. <laughs> kind of correcting my prior thoughts on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they'll ever. I mean, they're 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 built. You know, as their um, their notice here says, you know, it's supposed to be a complement to their to their system, so that if you're in a Windows environment for a couple of hours, you can you can still access what you what you have. All right, moving right along, Francis, what's your first application? It's SCADPAL. So I think I have to offer a disclaimer because I have a material interest in SCADPAL. I own a, a a very very tiny percentage of of shares um, as a result of getting involved in the program in the app maybe about three years ago. I wrote my book, the first edition, and then a month later discovered Skedpal and then started to change everything that I had not everything but a good portion of what I had written in my book just within a few weeks of writing it. So, gave me a bit of a problem. But what the program does is helps the person who is trying to reshuffle all of their commitments sort of mentally. So there there are folks who commit to so much that this mental task takes place every day and it's a bit of an onerous one because it's tough to keep up when there's lots of interruptions and tough to keep track of what you had intended to do and what you wanted to do. Even if you write down your schedule every day, especially if you do maybe, because then you're really present to the chaos that happens when the uninterrupted things take place. And it, it, trying to do it manually has always been a challenge and caused people to sort of give up um, even the effort of doing it. It gets tedious. It takes a very, very long time. It takes a lot of overhead to try to keep your schedule straight just using your head. So what SkedPal does, it, it, it sort of acts like a magic eight ball. It's sort of my, my latest analogy. If you remember the, the magic eight ball, you used to ask it the question and then sort of shake it. And then it would come up with these sort of inane answers like, it depends, you know. Um, well, SkedPal is a bit like the magic eight ball in that you, you're, you're asking it, instead of asking it inane questions, you're asking, what should I work on next? You shake the eight ball, and it does all these internal cogitations and then comes up with an answer, a suggestion. Here's what you should work on next. And the way it does that is by, in the background, operating like a, like a GPS of, of all your tasks in that it constantly recomputes all of the tasks that you've given it, the different priorities you've assigned to them, the groupings that has sort of a... A melange of prioritization schemes in the background using AI. And it constantly is readjusting at, at your demand the best, sort of the best course to take or the best sequence of tasks to follow. You shake the magic gate ball at the, the, on the front end and then it just tells you, okay, here's what you should work on next. Um, and it's provided for me at least a, an hour or so of savings per day, half an hour to an hour, um, when I would normally have to sit down and, and try to figure out, okay, given the latest disruption, what should I be working on now? What, what, what sh given, the, given the changes that I've had in my schedule uh, and the new deadlines that have come upon me, once I put them in, then all of the computation that I used to have to do on my own is now taking place sort of in this GPS, and then it offers up this magic eight ball answer about, okay, okay here's, the, here's the best answer. So in a way, it operates like a, a trained robot in the sense that you are, in the beginning, it gives you sorts of crazy answers because you, you haven't tried, quite figured out the right way to get the program to give you the right answer. But over time, what happens is that you train it to 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 operate and answer the way you want it to. So it, it works more as a companion uh, who, who has all this information and but just gives you the right answer at the end. So that's, that's, that's how it works in a nutshell. It, it, it works alongside Google Calendar or Outlook Calendar, and it's available on web, iOS, and Windows and a mobile app as well. 
how, how does it how does it learn like in the onboarding process what information is it taking in from you in order to be able to understand how to best provide back to you information like is it taking in certain characteristics are you ads- giving it information that it can use or is it just simply analyzing the data you have resident within your calendar and tasks to be able to to pre- present it to you no it's doing no it's, it's doing no machine learning whatsoever this is all what you tell it um, so what you give it are two two kinds of information one is based around your tasks. So each task has a number of attributes that you can you can specify, like priority, um, absolute urgency, which project it belongs to, how important is that project in your list of priorities, duration, and so on and so forth. That belongs to each task. But the, the real innovation that sort of struck me was its creation of what's, what are called time maps. So a time map is a sort of a preferred time in your calendar to perform a particular task. So each task is assigned to one of several user-defined time maps. And this is where the real training takes place because when you start using the program, you're not aware of your time preferences to that level of detail, although you do have them. But you're the one who has to interpret what they are, look at your behavior over time and say, okay, I prefer to do this kind of task on Monday, Thursday, and Friday between 12 and 6, for example. So Skedpal will then look for available times in those in those time slots and then try to... And then, of course, they can all be overlapping and can go to town, create as many time maps as you want. Um, but the program is using it as input, as an important input. Gotcha. Wonderful. So my first app is Remember the Milk. And the reason why I recommend it is because it's awesome. And so uh, I've been using it for for just so many years. Uh, you know, it's my primary task manager. And the way I, I always explain to people, you know, task managers are for tasks. Project manager, project management software is for being able to keep a project moving forward. So that's not where tasks live. And at least not mine, you know, I manage all of my tasks in a task manager. So even if I have projects represented in my project management software, they are not in my tasks. And this is very similar to any way you would talk about getting things done or any other methodology of having a projects list and having an actions list. Remember the Milk handles my actions list and it is it has input from almost everywhere. You, you, know, you can email, you can text, you can tweet in a, a task into Remember the Milk. With IFT in, in integrations, you can, you can speak it into almost anywhere from any of the uh, Google Assistant or Alexa-enabled devices. Remember the Milk is just a clean interface. I really enjoy the ability to just enter things in. And I love the levity that's associated with the Bob T. Monkey is the is the mascot. And of course the logo is a is a cow. And you can actually toggle between the the sounds of a, a moo or a cowbell as the uh, as the notification sound in the application, or you don't have to have one at all. But the point is is that remember the milk is a solid platform. It has has I've never had a synchronization problem. I've I've never had a problem with the application just working. It's just a solid application and it was built with GTD in mind. So it's got just a, you know, all of the various uh, features that you would need for, for getting things done anyway. And it also has smart lists. So very similar to a, a saved search. Remember the Milk gives you the uh, the ability to uh, create a search, a very advanced search or a very simple search, and then represent that search as a list that's dynamic. So anytime any task in your system qualifies, it will then p- be pulled into that list. So for example, in the GTD world where you can have context-based lists, well, I don't need to have a bunch of of static lists, I just create new save searches to to be smart lists, and then I just click on calls, and now it pulls from my ta- my main task list or anywhere else that that calls are represented in my system into one list, so I can see all the calls that I need to make. It's fundamentally a game changer when you don't have to worry about being overwhelmed by seeing five thousand tasks in your system. You can just see the the very few based on a context that you 
can do right now and that you will do right now. So I really love Remember the Milk for, for all of its abilities and it's been keeping me productive uh, since I, I don't know when I started it. You know, it's, it's more than a decade now. So that closes out round one of our Productivity Appapalooza Premier Edition. Uh, we are now moving on to round two. Round two is uh, is up. And so, Art, you're on the spot. What's your second app for Productivity Appapalooza? I will see your Remember the Milk, and I will raise you one Todoist. Todoist is my task and to-do tool of choice. Um, I've used basically every to to do application I've been able to get my hands on over the years, and this happens to be the one that I keep going back to, which to me is a measure of matching functionality to person. If your instinct is to go back to use it, and the two, it, the fun, the feature set is almost identical to what you outlined with Remember the Milk. There are two aspects of it of Todoist though that I count on every day. And literally Todoist, aside from my email, Todoist is the application I am in most frequently during the course of the day. I am constantly going in, checking, moving, creating things, and that sort. But there's two features I use constantly. One, I use the natural language component, which is the ability to just type in exactly what I'm wanting to remember as a task and have Todoist interpret it. So if I need to schedule a meeting for one o'clock tomorrow, I literally say schedule meeting 1 p.m. tomorrow. And it will take that, parse it out and create a task for schedule a meeting and put a reminder on it for tomorrow at 1 p.m. That natural language component carries across not only on the Windows platform, on the web, but it also on the Android device platform that I use even to the point where you can use, say, Google Assistant and say, hey, Google, talk to Todoist. And it has its own voice component where it will walk you through prompts and to use natural language to add things to your task list, to knock things off, or do whatever you need to do with your list. The second part of it is the karma piece. And the karma piece is a bit of gamification that's tied to it that gives you points for completing items. But it will also take away points if things go overdue. And you can go through different ranks of karma, you know, master, grandmaster, that sort. There isn't any real direct impact to your productivity using that, but I found that it's been a good motivator for me just being a gamer type of person, I don't like to lose points. I like to gain points. So looking at that, it gives me the opportunity to, as a kind of a kick in the pants to go back and say, okay, if I don't get some more stuff done on this list, I'm going to be dropping some points. So I need to get in motion here. And it's a good positive personal reminder to keep moving forward. But I highly recommend to do is, uh, if you're looking at different to-do tools, at least take a look at it. Uh, it may or may not be your level of interest because it is a fairly Spartan interface. Uh, there are there aren't a huge number of bells and whistles, uh, but it is very clean and very streamlined. I like Todoist for the Karma thing as well, the Karma functionality, and I don't see that represented in almost any other task management app. I, you know, there there have been a few that have come and gone that had the features similar to Karma, but there there isn't a point based system. Uh, remember the milk also has the natural language functionality. You can, you know, just say what you want and then it'll put it into the time and day that you plan to. But um, but it only, uh, once a year, it tells you how many tasks you completed and gives you some numbers regarding that. Uh, but it doesn't have that kind of, of you know, point-based system. And that would be a really great overlay. That would be kind of fun. So thank you, Art. Sure. The only thing I found about Todoist, and this is not, not a criticism of Remember the Milk, but it is something I've run into a problem with, is Todoist has the ability to share your list to other people. And I believe Remember the Milk also has that ability as well. I have actually gotten feedback on the cow. <laughs> people are like, what? Wait, wait, you're you're working on our company project and this is the tool you're using? It, it has no impact on the tool itself, but there does seem to be a perception tied to it. It's fun, but I don't know. Some people consider it you know, less than corporate for lack of a better term. Totally, 
totally. I get that all the time. And, uh, and you know what, I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, the reality is, is that if you can't embrace fun, then I don't want to work with you. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, <laughs> have a good time. Yeah. Right. No, but you, you, so, so one of the, one of the, um, I, I just recently read a book called The Levity Effect, Why It Pays to Lighten Up. And the book is by Adrian Gostick and Scott Christopher. And what they do is they actually argue the importance of having fun in work. And I will, I will say that I was actually on the on the other side about this art. I was so completely. Uh, you'll you'll have probably heard me on the podcast say this before. You know, I've said on Productivity Cast sometimes doing productive things are just not fun. It's hard work, and you have to get used to that. But this book actually really changed my mind about the importance of bringing fun into uh, into work. And, uh, and and I never recognize this, but I've been using Remember the Milk for that very reason all these years. And, um, and it's really important to me now to recognize uh, how fun is a motivator, how fun is a team collaboration experience uh, enhancer. And so, so yeah, so I totally get the argument. I, I, I get it. But I think the people who are stuck in the mindset that things can't be both productive professional and fun are are missing a huge opportunity, a huge benefit to the workforce by eliminating or suppressing fun. Francis, what's your second app? Is Google Keep. It's only because it's a cross-platform, super easy to use way of capturing brand new tasks. Um, I, I if there was something else, I guess I would use it. But Google Keep is it, it, just simple. It's um, it's tied in with Google Calendar, which I use every day. I, I can create reminders. It takes voice voice notes. You know, I don't really use I don't really use um, the the I forget what it's called on um, on Google, but I don't really, don't really use the the functionality where I use my voice all that much. But it's there if I ever want to. Um, I've done it a couple of times in a pinch. But I, I like the, the simplicity and the cross-platformness of it. So it's, it's, I find that I use it every day, many ways. And I don't know of any other app that's as light and as ubiquitous as Google Keep. I, I also, also use Evernote, but Evernote is where I do my storing. Um, Google Keep is where I do my sort of quick capture in the moment on the fly. Um, and, and like I said, I, I don't know... I'm open to other options. I'm sort of always looking to upgrade whenever I can. But I haven't found one that's as lightweight and as ubiquitous as Google Keep. What I love about Google Keep is that it has a functionality so that you can you can tell it to remind you about something at a particular time and location without having to know that time and location before adding it to your task list. And so remember the milk has locations. You can add locations to the system and then then it will have those available. You can say, you know, like, wh- what do I have to do at home? And you can click on home and see everything that needs needs to be done at home. But Google Keep takes it a, a step further, and you can either say to Google Assistant or Google Now, depending upon your, your operating system, and or say to Siri, if you've connected the integrations to, to make it all flow to Google Keep through Ift or Zapier or whatever. Uh, but the point is, is you can, you can then add something like, remind me to buy milk, because uh, remember the milk is on my mind, uh, but, but but remind me to buy milk when I'm near Target. And it will go ahead and just select Target. And now it knows when you go by a Target to remind you, it'll geofence you so that when you drive by Target, it will remember, which is really, a really phenomenal tool. Have you, have you used that, Francis? No, I haven't. I, I find that one of the challenges I have which is probably why I don't use uh, apps like that, is that the, the alarms aren't flexible enough to alert me in a sort of a consistent way. I need an alarm that does more than just beep. I need some some alarms that, for example, will just keep alarming until I stop it. So it, you know, it, it won't give up or, and, will, and won't... Kind of the alarm that you, you have when you wake up in the morning. But I can't set those for regular alarms in Google Calendar, not, not to my knowledge, or in Google Keep. So I don't... If I can't trust the alarm, then... I'm sort of weary of adding in new ones. So that's probably the only reason why I haven't done it. 
Yeah, I, I've not had a problem. Google Keep has has saved me on many occasion in terms of uh, me. What I, what I like to do is I like to tell it, you know, uh, you know, certainly things if I'm if I'm driving to a client location and I want to be remem- reminded about something to ask them, I will frequently ask Google Keep to remind me to ask them that so that when I get there, you know, it has a list of, of things that will um, quickly pop up. And because I'm driving, I can't get it into remember the milk in the way that I would want to. So it's just a, it's just a quick way to capture. Google Keep also has a, a number of really cool features. It's actually built into the Google Drive platform. So it's a it's part of Google Drive. So Google Docs, Google Forms, Google Slides, Google Sheets, and so forth. And so it has tight integrations. So you can turn a Google Keep note into a into you know, pull that data into Google Docs and Google Slides very easily, and it takes Im- it takes images. You can share it really quickly and easily, and um, it also OCRs. It actually optically character recognizes the text on anything that you put into Google Keep. So yeah, so you can actually search the images. So if you take a picture of a Post-it note into Google Keep, you can then uh, search that those words that are. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's actually very. It's a very very powerful tool. I think people underestimate it. But as you said, it's it's not Evernote. It's not OneNote. It's it's something else, you know. And so I think it's a it's a very lightweight tool that's very responsive and very practical for many uses. And uh, so thank you. This is one of those applications that has just driven me bonkers since it came out. It's it's like they get this great idea, they work on it, and then they break for lunch and forget they were working on it and don't come back to it. Because there's so many cool features, but they just don't tie the knots together. Uh, They finally, they just updated, they being Google, they just updated Gmail with a new interface and added into that new interface is a side panel where you can put Google Keep. You can actually have your notes right there. Why did it take so long to be able to put this there? And why is it not more tightly integrated? There's basic structures that you, that just don't exist that you that could make such a difference in user adoption and usability. And it's just like, yeah, we've got this thing. Here's perfect confusion. There's now Google Tasks, which has been around for a long time, but actually has an interface now. But there's checklists in Keep. But there's no clarity as to which to one versus the other. I love Google Keep. I do use it. Uh, Honestly, I find it's probably the easiest way for me to maintain my grocery list because I can get into the grocery store, have it pop up when I walk in the door, take care of it and walk out and not have to think about it. Uh, Could I do it in Todoist? Absolutely. But I find it's easy in Keep. But just they keep getting so close to having a really powerful information tool and they just seem to stop short. And I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if that's accidental. I can't tell. And that's what drives me bonkers about it. I love it, but I hate it at the same time. <laughs> I agree with some of that. I, I think it's accidental because the, the sense I have in working like with Keep, for example, is that they don't, they don't, they haven't started from the problem that they're trying to solve that the user experiences. So they, they don't start with, the user experience when they're designing the product. It's as if they design the product and say, hey, you guys want to use this? Sure, try it. See what happens. Which is okay for some products, especially for new ones that you've never tried before. But when you're trying to, to fit a, a, an app or a product into someone's already existing behavior, I don't think that approach works very well. And it feels discordant and random. And why didn't they do this small thing that would have made a big difference? In my, For example, in my... um. My book, I mentioned this, I, this this feature that I loved that I had on BlackBerry, which was that you could program an external key. So you could press a button and then the software would just immediately launch without having to log in and all that drama. There's no equivalent that I found on, on an Android device, but that makes no sense. Why can't I press a button and immediately launch Google Keep, for example? But that would take Google understanding that people want immediate access to certain apps with just a stroke of a button, but that would take them having to study the user. And it seems as if they don't even bother to do that. Well, I'm going to push back here and say that Google does does study its users fairly 
closely. I, I think I think remember when you're talking in the hundreds of millions to potentially billions of users, they they move very slowly because they one change affects millions and millions of people at a time, and you know that's a we have a limited view set because it's affecting us personally, and and that that does create a bit of a change. Now I will, I will provide my own criticism here while we're all on our soapboxes. Uh, <laughs> Google has the power though, to just kill off Google tasks, right? I just really wish that they would just kill that ugly, ugly program and get rid of it and replace it with Google keep. That's my, that's my own internal wish because if they were just you know, they recently put out, as as Art said, the Google Tasks application. So now you can in, install an application on your on your phone, and uh, and use Google Tasks from from a, a mobile app inter- interface. But why do that? Why don't Why don't they just pull those Google Tasks into Google Keep and call it a day in, in a checklist or something like that? You know, inside of one of the Google Keep notes, they could easily do that, and that would save everybody having to go to multiple places to to do that. Again, I know it affects a lot of people. And so therefore, Google has to kind of uh, make these choices delicately and and very mindfully. Yeah, it's just, it reminds me of the old days of Microsoft, where they would, the teams would be not working together, not communicating together. And uh, again, I'm going to get real frustrated right here. I'm playing with keep and I have tasks and I switch between the two windows. One I can open in another tab tasks. I can't, it's the same bloody window I'm looking at. Why is the button in one and not in the other? These are the kinds of things that I think are going to hold Google back when it comes to this kind of stuff. Now is that, do they care? Eh, Maybe not. It may be just get the data in there, but I don't know. I just, until they start to take Google Keep seriously, it's never going to be taken seriously by anybody else. It's always going to be this little thing that, honestly, people are probably waiting until Google Keep gets killed off. Right. I, I think there's 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 a a difference between having a philosophy first and then and then designing software versus designing software and then kind of looking at how users use the software to come up with something better. I think the philosophy first approach is, is that's the one I prefer. Um, it's getting your thoughts straight about how people behave and how you want them to behave and then asking questions around software as opposed to the, the opposite way. Okay, let's move on. Uh, oh, I'm up. Okay, so my second suggestion, my next app that I use and love is actually Trello and Trello acts as my project manager. And so for, for those who don't know, Trello is uh, represented as a personal Kanban software, which means that it, it uses the Kanban methodology for being able to display items. And so you have a board and the board has lists and on the lists are cards. You can think of cards as kind of like post-its. And so you can place these cards uh, one above the other, and you can move them around. And each of the cards has their own features. And uh, so do the lists. So you can you can email into any one of these units, board, list, or card, I believe. And you're actually also able to integrate your Trello boards with other applications and give them new features. They're called power-ups. But what I most love about Trello is just their ease of of collaborating with other people. It's a visual platform. And really, if you if you can dream it up in, in, in a lot of ways, Trello can do it. And I recently demonstrated how I would set up Trello in with a GTD implementation at uh, GTD DC, the meetup that I run. And it was a lot of fun. You know, I just I just said, okay, well, if I was going to start from scratch, uh, this is how I would set it up. And and Trello just makes it so, so simple to be able to visualize things and the fluidity of being able to drag lists around and drag cards around. It just is a very, very nice, uh, you know, feel to the application. And it uh, it also has a, a, a very strong keyboard 
uh, functionality. So you can do almost everything you need to do in Trello using keyboard that you're using your keyboard. So you don't have to take your hand off the keyboard. And so that keeps you much more productive and moving quickly through throughout the system. And I think a lot of people don't know that there are so many keyboard shortcuts. My only criticism is that the keyboard shortcuts are different on the desktop applications than they are in the web interface because uh, both pull from different uh, system resources, uh, you know, within the browser, and then of course within the operating system. So that's that's very frustrating. But you you get used to it, and you learn the, the keyboard shortcuts, and it's really phenomenal. But Trello, all told, is a fantastic application, and I really use it purely for project management, like I said. So I'm not doing task management there. This is for being able to represent projects, share and collaborate with others, What's what the status of those projects are, milestones, status updates, and so on and so forth. If you're able to make the leap into that card-based metaphor, which honestly can be a little bit of a struggle for people at times because they may be used to doing list-based structures. Uh, but if you make that leap into that card-based metaphor, it can make a big difference in the early stages of a project as well as the execution. Just the brainstorming exercise of being able to go through and capture and break out different phases. Uh, one of my favorite features of Trello, though, is the fact that you can do checklists within cards. So if you have a card that you've created around a stage in a project, you can do a checklist within that card without having to create you know, 42 separate little cards to track individual pieces. Uh, being able to assign cards to individuals, it's a big step. And there's a lot in the enterprise space. There are a lot of companies that use either Trello specifically or Trello equivalent Kanban model applications to do this type of project management, especially on the software development side. So if you're dealing with this this type of work or you're thinking about doing project management work, I would it would absolutely behoove you to look at Trello and get comfortable with that metaphor because you're going to see it again. Okay, we are closing up round two of this Productivity Appapalooza Premier Edition. And now we're on to round three. Round three is up. And so, Art, you're up. All right. So I saved my big one for last. Uh, this is kind of a giveaway. If you if you know me, you know the types of things I do. You know the types of things I write about. Uh, my third one is OneNote. Uh, Microsoft's application for organizing information in all its various forms. OneNote being a open, well, I don't want to use the term open platform. Uh, it's a free platform that you can go to onenote.com and sign up for. There's a desktop actual actual desktop application you can load onto Windows. There's a what's called a UWP, which is Universal Windows Platform application. Uh, there is a browser-based application. There's iOS, there's iOS tablet, there's Android, all different kinds of flavors. Anything you could possibly want to capture, you can throw into OneNote and organize. If you know how to use a three-ring binder, you know how to use 80% of how OneNote works because it's based on tabs, meta, tabs, pages, sections, and that sort. It is probably, in my estimation, the most underrated application in the Office suite. Um, I throw it out and use it constantly with multiple people for sharing information, for sharing lists, updating documentation. It's not Word, it's not Excel, it's not PowerPoint. It's a completely different beast, but it's amazing how easy it is to adopt and how short the learning curve is. That glowing review being said, the inconsistency between the versions of the platforms will drive you absolutely bonkers. Uh, you have to plan for that accordingly. Uh, but if you do, you'll find that OneNote is one of those applications that can really make a difference in just getting your stuff together. So as someone who has who has used both OneNote and Evernote art, what do you feel like are the are the primary differentiators between the two platforms? Not better or worse, because I think that there are certainly pros pros and cons for each but what what do you feel like because i was recently asked this question at, at a at a forum and someone said well what's the difference between the two and i had a particular response but i'm curious and i will share that but i'm curious what your primary differentiator is between onenote and evernote the best way i can describe it onenote truly loves its notebook metaphor 
it loves the fact that it is an open page for you to create whatever you want. Uh, and the reason why I say that is they've pressed for the ability to include electronic inking as well. Uh, one of the biggest adoption areas for OneNote is in the education space. And rigid structure within educational tools can hamper them at times because kids want to be able to just you know do what they need to do. Sometimes it's move this thing here. Sometimes it's throw this image there. And the structure can often get in the way. Well, OneNote has kind of taken that to heart. Evernote has, I don't want to say a more rigid structure, but a more native structure to it. And it's really focused on putting things in place, uh, getting them organized, wrapping them with this structure that they have uh, without the, the kind of open-ended piece. They're really just two different, two different beasts. Uh, they do the same things, I want to say almost 80% of the time, but they have two very different approaches to it. If I had to parallel them, uh, take a look at the parallel between ever or between ready the or remember the milk and Todoist. Uh, if I had to line them up side by side, I'd say Todoist is more like Evernote, and remember the milk is more like OneNote. When you think about the, the usability, the interface, the experience, um, I, I've used both. I migrated from Evernote to OneNote. I would have to say that the only major win right now on the OneNote side is that it is free. I mean, that's what Microsoft has totally bought in on making this available to everybody possible. Uh, I don't know that they did it particularly as a shot over the bow of any one company. I think what they've done is they've recognized that this kind of information sharing and embedding it everywhere gets people more tied into their ecosystem. So if you look at things like the new Surface hubs, they've got OneNote functionality built into them. Uh, the Surface laptops and the Surface tablets all have native OneNote functionality built into them. Uh, it's just part of the equation. Great. The way in which I explained Evernote's difference from OneNote was actually on the fundamental level of the way in which both look at the concept of a note. So Evernote has a has a very clear definition of what a note is. A note is a, an, this individual file that you can move around, at least on the front end. Whereas with OneNote, pages are endless. You can you could just start a page in OneNote inside of a notebook and create sections and just keep going. In essence, it's very free form, right? You can uh, if you're on a a touchscreen device or a tablet, you can draw inside of OneNote and then continue on writing. It can turn your handwritten text, if it's clean, into, into live typable text and those kinds of things that Evernote is not interested really seemingly, I mean, just by, by virtue of the fact that they, they haven't tried to put this, these features into it. You can, you can do ink notes in Evernote, you can do handwriting, but it creates kind of a static image, you know, an image that you can then reopen and do more doodling in, uh, more writing, handwriting, but not really the fluidity of, of that kind of construct. So I, I think I agree with you, Art, that OneNote is attempting to be a little bit more free-flowing and flexible. And uh, and then the other side is the way in which OneNote and Evernote differ is the ability for you to uh, uh, integrate with other applications. So in the OneNote side, and there's a, a bit of, of ambiguity here because we have integration softwares that integrate with other things, right? So now we have Microsoft Flow, which allows integration with other tools. But basically, if you're in OneNote, you can integrate really tightly with other Microsoft-based tools. If you're using Evernote, you can integrate with everything that Evernote integrates with, right? So you have just a, a kind of a different way of integrating with things, but you have a lot of ways to integrate both tools just in a different flavor. And OneNote's going to have tighter integration, obviously, with Microsoft tools than Evernote is. So I see those as being the two big differentiators. Okay, Francis, you're up. What is your third app that you wanted to recommend. It's called Active Track. It's really for spying on employees. That that seems to be the, the, the primary purpose. However, it's also good for spying on yourself. So when you install the app, it sort of operates in the background and it takes screenshots of whatever you're doing on your computer, uploads it to the cloud, and you can go back later and figure out what what it is um, that you've been 
what, what the heck you've been up to when you can't remember? What was I working on? So I do a lot of time tracking. So having that kind of backup information is is absolutely essential because I'm amazed at how many, you know, I, I, I did some time tracking a couple of days ago and I could not remember what I did the prior week on a, on the Thursday. Turns out I had a power cut, so I didn't do anything on the laptop. So Active Track didn't help me with that respect. But the program is pretty powerful and it also gives you some some limits as to what you should be, well, not should be, but some policies as to what websites you should be spending a certain amounts of time on. It can give you an alarm, for example, if you spend more than 10 minutes on Facebook, for example. Um, so it's it's I'm not using it for its intended purpose, which is monitoring other people, but I'm finding it sort of very very useful and novel. And at you know at the at the trial or the 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 free sort of user level that I'm at, it's it's I haven't found anything that does what it does. And so I I know that uh, back in episode twenty nine thirty I believe where we talked about tracking tools and and productivity data. Is this different from Manic Time? I know that you had said that you use Manic Time. And is this different or similar? What's the compare and contrast there very briefly? Right. So Manic Time, I use Manic Time just to, to compile the data. Um, so it tracks what apps I'm using. It doesn't take screenshots unless you go for the pro version. Um, Active Track does the, the screenshots and the warnings and that kind of thing all on its own automatically. So they're complementary. I use them together. But so the data is collected. I actually insert the data in Manic Time and compile the data in Manic Time. But I'll tell you what I really would like to have is an easy way to set up experiments and hypotheses and test them using the data that I'm gathering. That I have not found anywhere. You'll have to you have to install R and start doing some data science, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just a, to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a fantastic and uh, deep <laughs> rabbit hole to go down into. I'd never escape from. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, this closes out this episode of Productivity Cast. If you have a question or comment about any of the apps we discussed today, feel free to head over to our podcast website, go to productivitycast.net, scroll down in the comments, leave us a question in the comments. We also have a contact page, fill out the contact form, and that will send us an email and we'll be more than happy to uh, respond to your message if necessary. If you want any one of the apps, you can go to the show notes, which is represented below the audio recording uh, play player and you'll see all of the the applications we discussed with links to them so you can go ahead and figure those out in in there uh, we also have our subscribe instructions on that page so if you want to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already subscribe please feel free to do so and if you are listening to us th- uh, by subscription through iTunes or please leave a rating or review so thank you for doing that that brings us out to the close of this episode of Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Thank you to Augusto Francis and Art for joining me here as always, and here's to your productive life. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.